Well, good morning. Thank you for being here. Um, I thought it would be a, a fun way to kind of start off with a laugh, but some of those scenes are kind of relatable, don't you think? I mean, not that any of you have probably been chosen to be Santa Claus, but these characters, all of them, find themselves in a situation that is less than desirable. Situations we would probably hate to be in, but we certainly love to watch with a bowl of popcorn and M&Ms. That's my favorite way, anyway. Some of them are funny, some of them are kind of sad, and as we've kind of come to expect from Hollywood um, and in movies, most of these situations get resolved by the end of it. Is that ever annoying to you? Because we know that real life isn't like that, but we expect that unrealistic happy ending from a movie. I think I like it because deep down, I want real life to be like that. Sometimes I wish at the end of the day, my brother would go kidnap my boss and bring him into my living room and he would give me a hefty Christmas bonus. Don't you? Um, but also sometimes, well, I don't know if my boss listens to these sermons. He does know that I teach. So he needs to know that I like him and I don't wish him to be kidnapped. Make sure, are we recording? Or you can start recording now. Okay, good. <laughs> Unfortunately, or fortunately, probably, God doesn't work like that, right? And we come to know that maybe um, maybe it feels all too real that life doesn't really work like that. The themes of the Christmas story in the gospel that I want to talk about today are really an echo of what Kevin talked about last week, though, because God is constant. He keeps his promises. He loves us immensely. He knows all of history and all of the future. He is always perfect, and everything he does is good, even when we compre can't comprehend how it could possibly be good. So the truths that we're seeking about him are constant too, even when we read from a different author of the Bible. So today I'm going to focus on Luke's introduction to the Christmas story. Um, last week Kevin asked us to stand just kind of through the season as we read scripture. So will you stand and I'm going to read Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be called Holy, and the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You can have a seat and I want to pray for us. Father, this morning I ask that you open our eyes to your truth in a new way. 
I'm thankful that your truth is constant, that you are constant. Um, and that in our humanity and in our disbelief, um, you can set that aside. You can set aside our disbelief. You can show us your truth in a new way. Give us courage this morning to evaluate our hearts and lives and attitudes. Our worries, whatever that is, God, give us courage to surrender to you. Help us to have a response that would be glorifying to you today. Amen. So, I wanted to start with those funny, those not-so-merry Christmas situations. Um, because, like I said, I think we can all kind of relate to some of those. We all have our own versions of just plain crappy holiday happenings, don't we? Um, I'm thankful I don't have a lot of bad memories of holidays from when I was little, but I know there was family drama. Um, everybody has that. I wasn't really aware of it then. As I got a little older, um, you know, kids are curious. I started to ask questions or I noticed certain family members didn't come around as much. And then, the Christmas before I graduated college, I found myself in the middle of some nasty family drama. I think I even realized it. Sometimes you don't know what's going on as you're in the, the moment, but I kind of realized it as it was happening and thought, I did not ever picture myself in this place. So a little backstory: my family had a small chain of restaurants, and I helped to manage our store in Kearney while I was going to school. And my, my dad and his mom had owned a steakhouse and a catering business and a bar and grill before when I was little, but it was always his dream to open another restaurant. So we started this in, in 2006. We opened the star in, store in Kearney, and my mom and my sister and I all helped manage that. Um, my dad always told us how much he loved working with all of us, that we could, as a family, do something together like that. And most of the time, I loved it, too. If you know family business, you know what I mean. Um, but also, my dad and I are a lot alike. Um, so sometimes that causes friction. We both are really passionate. We're both leaders. Um, since this fight that I'm referring to that almost ruined Thanksgiving and Christmas of 2009, I think we've both grown, but especially at that time, we were both pretty immovable. Like we would set our minds or our hearts on something and you couldn't talk us out of it. So something came up and we both reacted with that kind of um, defensive attitude. We were both really stubborn and we were both really unwilling to listen to the other person. And I, I can't honestly remember what started our fight. Don't you, do you guys ever have that kind of memory? Like, something was really, really rough, but I don't know why it started. Um, which is silly, right? Um, it wasn't funny as it was happening, of course. We had one of those classic, like, sitcom scenarios, though, that exchange where I said, I quit. And he said, you can't quit, you're fired. And, yeah, and I'm, I laugh about it, too, now, but, oh, my gosh. And that was probably one of those moments where I was like, is this real life? I don't know what's going on here. Um, but, but it wasn't funny. It was a really terrible season. My family has always been really close. Um, and so it was really tough for all of us. I just have one sister and my mom, and the four of us are, like, glue. Um, but after this, this happened, I didn't talk to my dad for like two weeks. I didn't go to the restaurant. I didn't go home. It was right before Thanksgiving that this happened. 
and I almost considered not going home for Thanksgiving, which would have just devastated all of us, but my mom was really torn up about it. Um, but I just waited. I felt like I needed an apology from him. And since this wasn't a movie, um, it doesn't have some concise, feel-good conclusion, um, but it took a couple of years. It took time and it took grace from God to heal our hearts, to allow us to forgive each other and to make things right. Um, but it was a pretty rough holiday for my family that year. I know Christmas can be really terrible, way worse than what I just explained for some people. Um, and I won't try to list examples of what you might be faced with, but if Christmas is hard for you, I'm well aware that it's probably hard, like, you know, Thanksgiving. It started months ago. You are in the thick of that suffocating feeling. My hope for you today is um, that you'll be encouraged by the truth that I'm going to talk about um, in the telling of the Christmas story. Because Joseph, Mary, and Jesus also faced some pretty less than ideal situations. Kevin talked about Joseph last week and read from Matthew 1, and I'm going to read a little bit from that again. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Some translations of the Bible say that Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married, and we obviously are very familiar with that concept. Um, and even now, if they were engaged and they had a baby or they got pregnant, they'd probably be ridiculed um, for not waiting until it was official. Um, but our understanding of engagement doesn't really fully describe the cultural differences of betrothal. So I, I read a version that uses the word betrothed, which is a weird word that we don't use anymore that maybe some of us aren't familiar with. Um, but I learned that to betroth means to contract an actual, though incomplete, marriage. So it was definite and binding upon both groom and bride who were considered as man and wife in all legal and religious aspects except that of actual cohabitation. It was equivalent to an actual marriage and only to be dissolved by a formal divorce, which is why chapter, or excuse me, verse 19 said Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph considers leaving Mary. He's like, this is not ideal. Um, and he honored Mary. He didn't want to put her to shame. He wanted it to be quiet. Um, he thought he wanted to leave. And Mary was an unwed, pregnant teenager. Age wasn't really a big deal back then like it, like it might be today. And actually, it was pretty normal to be married by 13 or 14 years old. But culturally, the fact that she was unmarried and with child would have been a much, much more disgraceful and punishable thing um, than it is today. In fact, it was written in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 22 that if a betrothed woman claims to be a virgin, and it's found out that she's not, that she could be stoned, that she was to be stoned, put to death. Can you imagine the thoughts that went through Mary's head? God is telling her that this is what will happen, and she knows what the, the consequence would be by law, 
um, and yet she trusted. We can only assume the way other people treated her, because the Bible doesn't really elaborate on that part of history, but it probably would have been easier for her and Joseph to, to just confide in each other and keep to themselves, right? I mean, you can hide a pregnancy for a little bit, but we got some pregnant mamas around here, you know, girls. I can't hide that forever. Um, how do you explain it? Like today, maybe Mary's on the phone with her mom. No, mom, really, I did not sleep with them. Uh, how do you explain it, Mary? My life group talked about this on Wednesday. We imagined that everybody in town was probably talking about them. On the outside looking in, and maybe even from Mary's perspective, um, we, we know what her response is, but we don't know what thoughts she had or, or the emotions that she was going, to, going through, but it seems pretty less than ideal, right? We know, having the Bible and, and knowing the story of Jesus' birth and Jesus' death and resurrection, we know how history unfolded. Mary knew what the angel told her, but she could not have known all the details of how God would work in her life as a result of what she was experiencing. Jesus gave up his throne in heaven to take on human form. I don't think it gets much less ideal than that, right? To live in heaven, to have his rightful place in the throne. And if, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus wasn't born into wealth or royalty. He was literally born in a barn, and then Mary put him in an, a feeding trough. So it was, I mean, it was a little rough, right? Matthew chapter 2 describes that King Herod ordered that all the baby boys would be executed when he heard about Jesus' birth. Jesus had a lot of things going against him, right? The truths of Jesus' birth reveal to us that God can and will use his people right where they are, though. Just as he does not ask us to clean ourselves up before, coming, before becoming his follower in Romans 5.8, he doesn't say that we must position ourselves in just the right circumstances before he'll use us either. Pretty much the opposite of that, right? We can see that in this story. We don't have to be discouraged by the less than ideal because there is hope. With God, the less than ideal is hardly a deal at all. So point one on your outline, if you guys want to follow, on, follow along, um, don't be discouraged by that less than ideal. You're in good company, right, with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And there is redemption in the less than ideal, like I just said. God is intentional. He purposed those details of the story of Jesus' birth. The story of the coming of Jesus is so calculated. God chose every detail of the specifics of Jesus' less-than-ideal situation for a reason, most of which I believe is so that God himself would be glorified. Because he created us, he also knew what we needed. He knew how to reach us. Our God, who last week Kevin described as prior to Jesus' birth, any encounter with him was terrifying was he was so powerful that it was he was unapproachable people were terrified of the israelites because he was their god um, god knew that to reach us to reach our hearts um, he needed to send our savior as fully god fully man emmanuel god with us 
Jesus Christ as a baby. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. There's a phrase in there, let us hold fast to our confession. And I had to look that one up. To hold fast is to hang on to. And the confession it refers to is our confession of faith, believing that Christ is our Savior. So in today's world, almost everything is immediate. I can text a friend who lives in China right now and get an immediate response. Over 7,000 miles and 14 hours separate her, but she and I can have a real-time conversation. And this kind of convenience, I think, makes it really easy for me to forget that God has not promised instant results or answers. So we need to learn patience. The waiting creates opportunity for our faith to grow. God has not forgotten us, in fact. I love the way Kevin explained the waiting period for Israel last week. 400 years they waited in silence for something, some news about this Messiah they had been expecting. The fulfillment of God's promise, just like it did for them, is likely to look different than what we might imagine. Redemption for the less than ideal in our lives, as I said, might look different, and it might take some time. And I don't know, maybe it's good practice for us to count on that, to know that God is constant in our waiting, too. You can be confident that God is at work in the waiting. Let's look again at Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. It was a verse that Kevin referred to last week also, and it really describes it beautifully. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is hope. Because God is able, there is hope. The angel said to Mary in Luke 2:37, for nothing is impossible with God. The angel is explaining, you're going to have a baby. Yeah, I know you're a virgin. It's not impossible. Um, in my Bible, this verse has a notation that directs you, directs you to Genesis 18, 14. Um, and in that story, God is talking to Abraham and in this particular verse, asking him why his wife Sarah laughed when God said that they would have a son. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, Sarah... Abraham's wife was well advanced in years. I'm not just talking like a couple years past menopause, although that would still be miraculous if she got pregnant after menopause. No, Sarah, Sarah was 90 years old, and Abraham was 100 years old when God told them this. And he said, you will have a son together. So anyway, um, the angel in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1 is quoting God 
in this passage when he's talking to Mary. Um, but Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too hard for God? And I really love considering it in that way as a question as I think about circumstances in my life that are less than ideal. It requires a response. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And you have to answer. My response is important. Isn't it always about the response? When I find myself in the less than ideal, what's my answer to that? Is it too hard for the Lord? When I think about Abraham and Sarah, Zachariah and Elizabeth, Zachariah was Elizabeth's husband, who's in her sixth month of pregnancy, but remember in Luke that I just read, it said she was barren. The Virgin Mary, all of them, or not all of them, had this immediate, hands-open, servant's response. Not all of them trusted immediately. We saw that in Joseph's um, initial desire to divorce Mary quietly. But for those who love God, the response will be humble obedience. It's obvious, especially in those stories, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible for God. Again, with God, the less than ideal that maybe I'm living in right now is hardly a deal at all because God brings redemption to it. It might take time, and it might take it might look different, but there is redemption. I want to revisit something else that Kevin said last week um, because my last point um, could sound like advice, and that's not what I want to do. The gospel is good news, not good advice. This is what he said. Advice is counsel about what you must do. News is a report about what's already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen. And news urges you to recognize something has already happened and then to respond to it. Advice says it's up to you to act. But news says someone has already acted. The gospel is not telling us what we should do. It's primarily telling us what God has done for us. So Joseph wanted to run when he first learned of Mary's pregnancy, but God doesn't condemn him for that. Like I said earlier, he didn't, he didn't ask Joseph to change his circumstances before he would use him. He responds in obedience, and it took belief and, and trust. It took great courage to obey God. The good news that God had for Joseph was that God was in control of what had happened to Mary. The angel told him what his response should be then. Stay. Take Mary as your wife and name the baby Jesus because God had already figured out the rest. Mary's response was surrender, right? Like I said, we don't really know what her, her thoughts about it or her emotions, but it seems like in the story that we read it, it's pretty, you know, pretty quick exchange between her and the angel, and she said, yeah. Let's um, listen to that encounter again. The angel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and to his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the virgin, how will this be? Wait, Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Because I'm a virgin. I don't know if the angel is a virgin. doesn't matter. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then verse 37 says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The good news God had for Mary was that he had chosen her to be a part of his glorious plan. God would do the work and she was to name the baby Jesus. She accepted it, and she faithfully said, okay, I'm in. Here I am. Years later, when Jesus was faced with death, he pleaded with God, and he trusted God's plan. Luke 22, 39 through 43 describes this. Jesus came out and went as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Jesus knew. He was fully God. He knew that he would be crucified. He knew every hit he would take. He knew the faces of the soldiers who would hit him. He knew every bleeding sore he would get on the way to the cross. And maybe, since he is fully God and God is all-knowing, maybe Jesus even knew and could imagine what that physical pain would be like before he got there. And his response was, your will be done. Maybe it's weird to think that God would have good news for Jesus since Jesus is God, but I think there is even good news for Jesus in this. God promised an end to Jesus' suffering. He would die, and hallelujah, he would raise again. God would raise him to life again. Amen? Sorry, now I can't see. Jesus would ascend to heaven to his rightful throne at the right hand of God. And his sacrifice would be sufficient for all of humanity. There was good news for Jesus in his less than ideal. With God, the less than ideal is hardly a deal at all because it's not the end. Thank you, God. So, <clears throat> maybe I'll stop crying. What, what does it mean? I do it every time, right? Right, Dave? <laughs> what does it mean for us? Choosing to put our faith in Jesus takes courage. Um, and sometimes I don't always experience that. Um, acknowledging or recognizing that it takes courage. I don't face rejection for my faith. Um... And I don't know persecution 
like my friend in China might experience because of her faith. But I've been wrestling with this. I wonder if it's because I don't live out my faith with that much courage. Have I come to the point of rejecting my own self-determination in order to worship Jesus on the throne of my heart? Will I worship him to the point of being content in the less than ideal? And not that, not even that, but, but praising, worshiping Jesus through the less than ideal because of the less than ideal. He is good, even if my circumstances don't change. It takes courage to, to go there, um, to admit that I'm not living there but love will give me courage. Redemption and grace will give me courage. I was recently, like I said, I've been wrestling with this, um, but God used something to convict me um, of my own struggle with like commercialization of Christmas. Um, In me, that kind of shows itself in envy and greed and gluttony and all those lovely characteristics. Um, but as I'm growing, God is faithful to remind me that those sins do not define me. I'm no longer confined by them. And when Satan tells me otherwise, I don't have to listen to him. Being fluent in the gospel points out and, and crushes those lies. And the gospel tells me the truth. So I was scrolling through my favorite social media app and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Um, I love that God is like, okay, whatever is, is you, Mal, I, I'm going to talk to you through that. So Instagram, okay. Um, so I'm scrolling through, and the Holy Spirit was like, wait a minute, go back and read that caption again. You need this. Um, and an author that I follow posted something um, about her own attempts to stay focused on the truth during Christmas. Shannon Martin is her name, and she wrote this. Just sitting here in my cozy home, feeling grateful for all that I have in an effort to push away the gimmies, that's where the Holy Spirit was like, you have the gimmies now. Um, this is, she writes, this is such a fun time of year, and I feel strangely extra about it this year, though the only thing I've decorated is the mug rack. And she put a little Christmas tree emoji because Instagram. <laughs> she says, we're talking about gifts to buy and cookies to bake and where to put the tree, but... The season can veer from wonder to anxiety in five seconds flat. For many of us, resources are limited and we want to honor the old budget without feeling beat up by it. Life feels hard in lots of ways, but we're still kicking up daydreams about all the memories we'll make. We want a break from the struggle, but we know it keeps us on our face, and that's the whole point. She goes on, Cliff Notes, it's complicated. What if we tried to remember this? I am enough. We are enough. This is enough, and I have enough. We can celebrate with intention and great love without feeling crappy in the end. We can cling to contentment and gratitude through December. We can pay attention to this wonderful, heartbreaking world we're in and call it good. We can imagine our hearts as the innkeeper and our homes as the little stable outside. We're not fancy, but we can always make room, so come on in. And because of the beauty of social media, I wrote to her, 
and asked her to help me understand that a little bit better. And she replied, and I felt like a total fangirl. Um, <laughs> so she wrote back to me, and she clarified, and she said, the innkeeper did make room for Jesus. It just didn't look like the typical hospitality that you might expect. But I've always kind of thought as the innkeeper, I've always kind of thought of him as like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. And he was just holding out on Mary and Joseph. Um, but I really like Shannon's perspective of this. Even the less than ideal in my life, whatever it is, I can make room. I can trust God has redemption for my less than ideal, and I can respond accordingly. We are his image bearers. And amongst so much hustle and bustle this year, my response to the less than ideal can reflect his character. Be inviting, be generous, be kind, be forgiving. She said, I am enough, we are enough, this is enough, I have enough. And I think that also needs some clarification. What I offer to my family, to my friends, um, is not actually enough, but it is enough um, because it's not up to me to be everything that they need. So what I give to them, um, I don't need to feel that pressure that it has to be everything because only God is enough. I don't have to try to be their all. The pressure is off when I acknowledge then that God's enough. Same goes for we are enough. When we point to Christ, that's enough. If what I have is Jesus, then I have enough. He wants to use our less than ideal to bring good to the world, just as he did through the coming of Christ. This Christmas, let us be attentive enough to see past our less than ideal and believe that with God, it's hardly a deal at all. Will you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful that you call us your children. I'm thankful for your perfect plan, which included Jesus coming as a baby into less than ideal situations of his own and the truth that you want to bring us through those details. I surrender my own self-absorption. God, heal me. Thank you for telling me the truth constantly in your gospel. Bring renewed focus to our hearts and help us to, to know that you are faithful, to trust that you are faithful, to respond because you are faithful. Thank you, God, for your complete redemption. Give us courage to respond to you in a way that brings you glory. Amen. Amen. If you guys want somebody to